and I said, but you know, Mark, the people who really perform miracles every day in people's lives are librarians. And someone else said, Mark, you should do a librarian action figure. And then someone else said, and Nancy should be the model for it. I don't know. We just try and connect on a different level. And if you can come, great. If you can come to the party, great. I guarantee you're going to have a couple of laughs and you're going to learn about our books. And then we're all going to eat some bad hotel scones and get on with it. Or we might all go get in the pool, in the swimming pool, in our clothing in Orlando. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. Yes, indeed. We did do that, didn't we? We did. We absolutely (laughs) did. Welcome to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Five New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, Mary Alice Monroe, and Ron Block. As novelists, we are five longtime friends with 85 books between us. I am Ron Block. I am so glad you've joined us for fascinating author interviews, along with insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Today, we are kicking off National Library Card Sign-Up Month, which is the month of September. To celebrate, we are going to be in conversation with two library superstars, Nancy Pearl and Virginia Stanley. Both have dedicated their careers to libraries and to books and readers, and we can't wait for you all to get a glimpse into the world of reading from their perspectives. Libraries are indeed one of the great democratic institutions, and we need them now more than ever. I am Ron Block. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews, one of the founders of Friends in Fiction. Libraries are so important to authors like me because, first of all, you make us into readers, and we can't be writers until we're readers. So, I think we've done 15 months worth of interviews with authors on Friends in Fiction, and we always ask them why, what what were the influences of their becoming an author, a published author, and invariably, they have a story about being taken to the library as a small yes. child, and I know that was the case with me, and of course, the other thing is, libraries provide the raw materials for our readers, <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you've gone to the library, if you're a library patron, then certainly you're a reader and we need every single one of those. And so, you know, people ask me all the time, well, don't libraries sales take away from your book sales? And, and that's absolutely not the case. So many of my fans tell me I discovered your books. I checked out one of your books from the libraries and I got hooked. And now I'm not just a library patron. I'm a, I'm a fan and a book buyer. Very true, very true. Well, our first guest today is America's favorite librarian, Nancy Pearl. Nancy Pearl regularly speaks about the importance and pleasure of reading at libraries, literacy organizations, and community groups around the world. She can be found on NPR's Morning Edition talking about her favorite books and also on her monthly television show, Book Lust with Nancy Pearl, which features interviews with authors, poets, and other literary figures. 
Among her many honors are the 2011 Librarian of the Year Award from Library Journal and the 2011 Lifetime Achievement Award from the Pacific Northwest Booksellers Association. Nancy is the creator of the internationally recognized program, If All Seattle Read the Same Book, which became One Book, One City. So if you've had this in your city, then you know where it came from. She was also the inspiration for the amazing Archie McPhee librarian action figure, which we're <laughs> going to dig into talking about in just a little bit. <laughs> Nancy is also the best-selling author recently of a novel, George and Lizzie, and also the fabulous collection, The Writer's Library, which was co-authored with Jeff Schwager. She's a librarian and literary critic, but first and foremost, she is a reader and has spent her life promoting reading as one of the most beneficial and joyful experiences anyone can have. I can't tell you what an honor it is for me to welcome one of my personal heroes, Nancy Pearl. Welcome, Nancy, to the podcast. Uh, thank you. It's such a uh, such an honor to be asked to be on the show. So so happy to be here, Nancy. You have truly blazed a trail for many librarians, and you've been a teacher and a mentor and an inspiration to so many in both of those professions and to readers everywhere. Would you give us the where it all began story? Yes, and of course, you might guess it all began in a library, a public library in Detroit, Michigan, the Parkman Branch Library. It was two librarians, Miss Long and Miss Whitehead, who who took me in hand. They met me when I was about eight years old. I came from a family that was not a particularly happy place. My home was some somewhere where I didn't really want to be. So I spent all my time at the public library. And and Miss Whitehead, when they met me, all I was reading was horse and dog books. And through a kind of bait and switch where Miss Whitehead would say, Nancy, do you want the brand new Marguerite Henry horse book? Do you want to be the first person in this library to read that book? And of course, I'd say, yes, give it to me. Miss Whitehead, give me that book. And Miss Whitehead would say, oh, but wait, first, I want you to read another book. And she gave me books. <laughs> That's how I discovered Mary Poppins. Miss Whitehead was Canadian and and was addicted to British children's literature. So you know, that's where I discovered Enid Blyton and Mary Poppins and The Lord of the Rings. Um, those were all books that Miss Whitehead persuaded me to read. And I knew when I was 10 years old that I wanted to be a children's librarian. I wanted to be someone just like Miss Whitehead, who would help other kids for whom the library was was not only a safe place to be, but a place where the world opens up to you. And I have to just say, I have to just put in a plug. There's going to be a picture book biography called Library Girl about my childhood and that library and those librarians coming out in September, well, fall of 2022 by um uh, wow. Karen, yeah by Karen Henry Clark beautiful illustrations we're just starting to see them in color illustrations by a portland artist named Cheryl Murray so i'm just thrilled about that which is so exciting so that is a that, scoop <laughs> i yeah. wish everybody at home could see the huge grins on my face and ron's <laughs> face and Nancy's too because right. All of us are such library creatures. The idea that this this book will be in the world is is such joyous news. 
And plus your story, I think, is really influential and really an inspiration for kids everywhere. I think libraries just been a refuge for so many of us in, in our lives and, and they'll, they'll see themselves in your book. And that's the best compliment I think that a book can give a young reader. I, I think I, you know, I hear so much from people when I give a talk or, you know, when I'm out in the world, people coming up and saying, you know, your story about the library and how with the place it played, you know, in your childhood is my story, too. And, you know, librarians, libraries and librarians change the world. We make the world a better place. And. I've always felt that to be a librarian, to work especially in a public library, is really to is to is to contribute your part to to making the world better. And you know, I was one of those kids who who was like, I wanted to do good. I wanted to do that kind of thing. And what can you do? And this is what I've done. So I've been very lucky. Well, I would say I was lucky. Well, I I just have to interrupt. I have to just sort of qualify that and say, I would say I've been lucky from like age 40 on. Not sure that the first, well, that's not true. 20, yeah, the first 18 years, I would say that was not a lucky time. But following that, I've been very lucky. Yeah, we all progress, but you, you've also been very generous. And, and one of the areas that you have focused on that has actually done so much for librarians everywhere and ultimately readers. And I think a lot of readers don't understand what's behind when they come into a library and we say, Oh, maybe you'd like this, or maybe this is what you'd like to read. So can you tell people a little bit about what readers advisory is and how you have become so passionate about that? Well, yeah, readers advisory is. Um, putting a reader together with a book that you as the librarian or in a bookstore, we call it hand selling what you as a librarian feel that that particular reader would enjoy. And, and the way that we do that, you know, everybody reads different versions of a book. Everybody is looking for something else, something particular in every book that they read, whether it's a character that they can embrace, that they will never forget, whether it's a fast moving plot, whether it's something that's lighthearted and will make you smile, or whether it's some kind of dark, noir mystery that's going to give you shivers, whatever you're looking for, it's, it's the librarian who, who we want to make sure can, can understand what it is that you're looking for and find some books that will meet your particular desires in a book. True, true. They'll come into the, uh, the library where I work now and they'll like, okay, you know what? I know you know Mary Kay Andrews. What else is like that? What else yeah, can we right, read? Exactly. Of, give me that same zing and what can right. I take to the beach? So. Yes, yes. Nancy, totally. one can only, <laughs> I'm flattered. One can only assume that the ultimate career highlight is having an action figure created and designed in your honor. <laughs> Tell us how that came about. Well, you know, like, yeah, I, I mean, there's so much kind of happenstance in my life where I happen to be in the right place or I happen to meet the right person. And there's the there's the brand new librarian action figure. So the original librarian action figure in around 2002, 
um, I was at a, my husband and I were at a dinner party with the owner of, among the guests was the owner of a company in Seattle called Archie McPhee, which is, if you've ever been in Seattle, it's a, it's a store that has a lot of funny things, kitschy kind of things. And at that time, they were doing a series of action figures. Um, They did Shakespeare. They did Jane Austen. They did an action figure of Jesus. And the owner was saying that he was getting email. He was getting letters and email from people who who were saying that the Jesus action figure was performing miracles in their lives. And, And I said... Um, but you know, the, Mark, the people who really perform miracles every day in people's lives are librarians. And someone else said, Mark, you should do a librarian action figure. And then someone else said, and Nancy should be the model for it. And so, <laughs> you know, then the conversation went on, of course, to other things. And as we were leaving that night, driving back home, my husband said his four favorite words to me. Now, I know that every husband has his own four favorite words. I doubt anyone else has these particular four favorite words. My husband's four favorite words to me are, Nancy, think this through. He said, said, do you really want to be a five-inch plastic, non-biodegradable action, you know, a little toy? And I said, you know, as I always respond to things like this, I said, oh, don't worry about it. It'll never happen. And a year later... Mark, the owner of uh, Archie McPhee and its parent company, Accoutrements, called me and said, can you come to Muckleteo to be digitized? Now, Muckleteo is a a small town north of Seattle. And I always thought if I were going to write a memoir, which I'm not going to do, it it would start with those words. I went to Muckleteo to be digitized. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) (laughs) And... um, And it came out, the library action figure came out in 2002. The action, of course, was if you had the arm in just the right position and you pushed the button in the back, very slowly the arm would come up and make like a shushing motion. Now, I'm sad (laughs) to report that in the world, in the world, there are probably 47, 48 librarians with no senses of humor who have no sense of humor and they were very offended by the shushing, not, not understanding what a, um, you know, what a tribute it was. And, you know, the wink that, that we were, that was accompanying um, the, the librarian action figure. So that action figure went through several iterations coming out in September, 2003, which was the same month that my first book lust book came out, which is all book recommendations. And the newest iteration is really the librarian in a cape and um, fighting against illiteracy and anti-intellectualism and censorship. So it truly is a superhero making the world better one reader at a time. Yeah. So just like the DC comics, as they progress and they grow with the times, so has the librarian action figure. And the earliest ones were like the Barbie dream house. They had a a book cart and they had um, books and all these things to go along with it. It was awesome. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you mentioned the book lust books and you put out several of those early in your career, but then you kind of jumped into the novel writing and um, we, 
you know, it, it wasn't as if you didn't have enough to do. You decided to become a novelist and you created George and Lizzie, which Caroline Levitt called right. as sparkling as Prosecco, as jubilantly quirky and inventive a love story as you could ever want, and a jigsaw puzzle you never want to finish. Tell us about how the book came to be and how your years of being a book expert played into its creation. Well, I would not have written George and Lizzie, and this goes back to something Mary Kay said at the beginning of the show. I would not have written George and Lizzie had I not been a reader. And I I wrote George and Lizzie because, you know, when you're a reader, there there comes times in your life when there are like troughs, when you can't find anything good to read, you know, and you're I, and those happen to me fairly frequently. And, you know, I wander the shelves in my house looking for something to read or reread, or I go to the bookstore, I go to the library, and I just couldn't find a book that met all my particular, what I needed in a book. And what I need in a book is a, a really, a, you know, a little bit of quirk, a, a character that um, I love, and I need good writing. And I couldn't find anything that exactly did that. I'm sure there were plenty of books out there, but nothing was fulfilling that need. And one night, um, I just, it was like these two characters came into my head. And one of them was Lizzie and the other was George. And at the beginning, that's all I knew about them. And every night I would find out a little bit more about them. I would tell myself stories about their lives, about how they met, about who they were. And over a period of many years, I never thought I would write a novel. I was very happy reading other people's novels. But over over several, several years, and Mary Kay can talk about, you know, um, how long some writing takes. I didn't devote all day to it. I It was it was just something I just so much enjoyed spending time in my head with George and Lizzie. And I just one day sat down and wrote the first sentence. The first sentence I wrote was, you know, I typed out how they met. And that's how the book begins, how they met. And then it goes back and the quirkiness comes from the character of Lizzie. George is really, um, it's not autobiographical at all, but the characters in it are very, you know, I think as an, as an author, you borrow, you borrow a little bit from this character, from this person, you know, you borrow a little bit. And George, I have to say, is a lot like my husband, Joe. Um, so whenever he's a little bit annoyed with me, I, I just, you know, ask him, well, you know, how many writers do you know who wrote a novel in their 70s and the hero of the novel was based on their husband? You tell me that. I bet you can't be mad at me after that. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, I, I sometimes think, I mean, there were characters in that book because I love finding out about people's lives. I love learning things like that. There are characters in the book that I sometimes think, you know, I'd like to write more about Lizzie's first high school boyfriend, for example, a guy named Maverick. Um, and then I think, oh, that's a lot of work. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, maybe I'll read another book instead. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. But that Maverick was such a great character, though. I loved it. Yeah. Loved him. yeah. I'm going to have to get that one. Well, you know, you, you didn't just sit around after that book was published. You followed the success no. of George and Lizzie. 
right, with the the Writer's Library, the authors you love on the books that change their lives, a collaboration with playwright Jeff Swager, which Publishers Weekly gave a starred review saying, Pearl and Schwager bring boundless enthusiasm and curiosity to this eclectic and probing book of interviews. Now tell us how that treasured book came to life. Well, that treasured book came to life because Jeff Schwager, um, who I had met because he interviewed me for a project he was doing for the Washington State Jewish Historical Society of notable Jewish women in the state of Washington. And I was honored to be one of those. And we really hit it off. We, we discovered we both, of course, love to read. And we would get together and we would talk about books, the books we loved, the books we didn't love. And he said, um, one day he said, you know, I have this idea of doing like a coffee table book of, of, of authors' libraries, their personal libraries. And I said, you know, he said, what, what do you think? Do you want to work on it together? And I said, well, no, I don't. I, I, you know, I'm not a coffee table book kind of person. Um, you know, I said, I'd love to go out and talk to the authors about the books that they love. Um, I think that would be really, really interesting in how they became like you're doing on this show. And, and my agent, uh, Victoria Sanders, loved that idea. Um, and so we, we traveled around. This was pre-COVID. Seems weird now. Um, but we, we flew around the country going to authors' homes, mainly interviewing them in their homes, um, wow. some in bookstores, one in the Center for Fiction in Brooklyn, which was wonderful, and ended up with 22 interviews of 23 authors and the 20 is that discrepancy is because we interviewed Ayelet Waldman and Michael Shabon together um, in the dining room of their home uh, while they were eating peanut butter and banana sandwiches, which they offered to, to me and Jeff, but we had already eaten. So we were just drinking tea and it was a delight <laughs> to talk to, you know, it's a very diverse book. Um, authors from the American Ethiopian writer Maza Mengista to um, well, to Michael Shabon, to Jonathan Lethem, to Charles Johnson, the National Book Award winning writer of the Middle Passage, um, Susan Choi, who just won the National Book Award um, as well, and 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 many others. Um, T. C. Boyle. Oh, gosh, we just had a great time. We just had a great time. Every, every Siri Hustvet. Um, it was just, we, it was wonderful. It, it was just wonderful hearing the books that they loved. And, and writers like Tom Boyle actually took us around his house so we could look at his bookshelves. And if you love a writer, uh, if you love an author's books and you're looking at the books that they've loved and they have books on their shelves that you have on your shelf, that's a really lovely bond, I think, with anybody, but it was just, you know, to meet these writers who were great heroes of, of mine and Jeff's was terrific. That's, that's you know, wonderful. that I'm sorry, Nancy, but that begs the question. Was there a book on those authors' bookshelves that overlapped your own favorite maybe more than once? Yes, often, um, oh. often. And one of them was on Tom Boyle's bookshelf called The Woman Who Lost Her Soul by Bob Shikosius, which was um, a finalist, I believe, for the Pulitzer when it came out. It's one of my all-time favorite books. It's 
it's a tough read in the sense that it's not always a happy book, um, but it's a book that's so well worth reading. And so many of the writers talked about their er, one of the earliest books that they loved was Watership Down. And, and these were writers as diverse as um, Michael Chabon and Madeline Miller, um, the author of Circe. And, uh, uh, you know, um, how wonderful is that? So books really connect people. And I've always said when you find somebody who loves some of the same books that you love, because nobody's going to love all the books that you love. I mean, that's a connection for life. Definitely. It is. Those are the people you can't wait to get together again right. with. And yeah. Go, did you read this? Did you yeah. read this? And oh, yeah. Love this. yeah, I love it. I love it. So um, going back to libraries just a little bit. What do you see as the future of libraries? We've been through a lot of changes the last year or so, and, and, and we have had to regroup in libraries, as we always do. But really, this was a big challenge. But what do you think the future of them is? Um, you know, I think, I think the libraries are the heart of a, of a city. The, the university library is the heart of the university. I think a city without a public library is, is a city that is lacking in a fundamental aspect of its being. I think, you know, librarians and libraries have always risen to the challenge of society's issues. Um, when we think about the great influx of immigrants in the early 20th century, coming mainly from Eastern Europe at that time, and how the library offered classes in English, learning English, how librarians supported these the immigrants who came in and helped them become Americans. Um, my... So librarians have always risen to the occasion, as I said. However, big city libraries and big city libraries are not, they're not staffed by trained, I mean, some libraries have trained social workers on staff, but librarians are not trained to be social workers. Um, You know, librarians are trained to open the world to the people who come into the library and should not be expected to to house to house the homeless that's a city's responsibility and the fact that libraries are being forced to do that at the at the cost at the expense of doing things that only librarians can do makes me very sad indeed so you know, there is nothing that makes a, a, a society more civilized than a society of readers. Reading develops empathy. Reading helps you expand your understanding of the world. And library libraries, library boards who decide on policy, library directors should not lose sight of the traditional role of libraries. Just because it's traditional doesn't mean that it's bad. Right. So well said. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think all of us have looked around at the incredible challenges that face libraries. And especially, you know, I live in Atlanta, a big city, and, and I see that challenge in the Atlanta Fulton County library system, too. But right. let's talk about 
the thing that you do love to do, which is give book recommendations. <laughs> I can't think of anybody I'd rather hear a book recommendation oh, more too. from than from America's Librarian. <laughs> what, what are some recent favorites that you recommend? Well, one of my favorite books, which I just finished recently and loved it, is is The Last Revival of Opal and Ned by Donnie Walton. Um, it's a first novel. It's... Um, it's the story of the first, maybe the only interracial rock duo in the 1970s. It's written in a very interesting way as a series of interviews by the editor of a, a music magazine who's trying to understand for reasons that I don't want to, I don't want to give anything no. away. Um, but it's, it's mostly a series of interviews with various people. And, and I have to say, Opal, is just an amazingly wonderful, wonderful character. And it's some, she's someone that I don't think that, that if you read this book that you'll ever forget. So that's one. Another book I loved is Oliver Harris's A Shadow Intelligence, which is probably the best spy novel I've read in a very long time. And it's set in Kazakhstan, which when was the last time you read a novel set in Kazakhstan? And it's set in, you know, this is a spy novel with everything technological that you could imagine. I mean, you know, my favorite spy novelist, British spy novelist is, of course, John le Carre. And I, I loved, loved those books. But what Oliver Harris has done is taken the same shadowy world where there is no, nobody's all right and nobody's all wrong, but that gray area. And he has really, um, I, it brought it into the 21st century with a vengeance. So wow. I, there's there's two books. Hi, highly, highly recommend those two books. Yeah, we'll, and we will make sure that we put those up on the Friends and Fiction Facebook page too for for folks. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I listened to Opal and Nev, and I gotta t- I gotta echo everything you said. It's it's everything. It's everything. Yeah, it's so good. yeah. Oh, good. I, I, I read it in print. Um, I didn't listen to it. So now I'm going to probably have to go back and do that. Yeah. If you like Daisy Jones on uh-huh. audio, uh-huh. this is right cool. there with it. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can me, Ron. I'm, I've got to drive down to Tybee next week. So <gasps> I think I might have to give Opal and Nev a listen. You'll love it. You will love it. Another promise, wonderful one. Oh, I'm sorry, Ron. I was going to say yeah. the other thing that I've been doing um, the last few months is reading all of Angela Thurkel's novels that were written in the 30s, 40s. And I, oh. the, the novels written in the 50s are are not particularly good, but those early ones are wonderful. And August Folly is um, or Wild Strawberries are the two that I would start with. And they're both wonderful on audio. Great. Good, good, good. Well, Nancy, as always, it's a huge honor to be in the same oh. space with you. Oh. It's, I, I just can't thank you enough for being with us. It's always, always such a pleasure, and we always learn so much. So, happy Library Card Sign Up Month, and we thank are you. all looking forward to what is next for you. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you guys, Mary Kay. It's so nice to see you again. I wish it were in person. And Ron, you as well. You same here. Bye-bye. Bye. Next up is our good friend, library rock star, Virginia Stanley. Virginia Stanley is the director of library marketing at HarperCollins. She was included in Library Journal's 
inaugural Movers and Shakers edition, being called a bridge builder because of her outreach to libraries across the country and including libraries on author tours as often as possible. Jen, as some of us call her, or Virginia, (laughs) enjoys coming-of-age books, Broadway shows, and any songs sung by Cher or or Bette Midler, too, right? Absolutely. Right. Right. Virginia, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you so much, Mary Kay Andrews. It's so lovely to see your face, even though no one else can. I know. We can see each other. Yes. Yes. Well, thanks for having me here. And thank you, Ron Block, for extending the invitation. Quite lovely. Well, who else would we have as a library rock star than you? I love that you movers and shakers. We have that in common because I was a 2020 mover and shaker from Library Journal. So we can we could celebrate that sometime when we can see each other in person. Yes, my coffee stained issue is at my mother's house in the den. <laughs> <laughs> I think my mother uses mine as a like a coaster too. <laughs> so I want to talk to you, to everybody, to know a little bit more about you. So um, you are way more than your job title in the description that you gave us. You're like a best friend to librarians and authors alike. Do you tell us what your role entails at HarperCollins and how you get so much done and so many books into the libraries? hands and uh, into the ultimately readers hands. Well, that's very sweet of you. And that means a lot to me because I do feel that, I mean, I have, I have equal love in my heart for authors as I do librarians and Mary Kay Andrews can tell you that. Um, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And um, my, my, the point of my job is to raise awareness of books and we do a lot of books um, on the adult side. That's my, my responsibility. And we, we have many imprints, you know, not just HarperCollins, William Morrow and Echo and Harper Via and Harper One. I mean, it just goes on and on. And each one has its own identity. Um, and it's it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, we, it's sort of covers the range of interests based on under uh, which imprint those books are published. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's I have a great team. I have a really great team with the Chris Connolly and Lainey Mays, two wonderful people who are just so strong. And they, together, you know, we we do the usual thing that everybody does. You know, we do conferences and advertising and, and all of that stuff. But I think we all, we sort of, we veer a little bit, shall we say. You know, a little <laughs> bit of crazy, a little bit of crazy thrown in. A um, couple of cocktails here and there. And we, you know, in the, in the the in the pandemic, since then, we have relied solely on, you know, virtual outreach. And so we've done... As has everyone, um, right. but we we really we really sort of ratcheted up the speed in which we uh, shoot videos and reach out to librarians and librarians need that connection as much as authors needed the connection as much as we needed the connection, and so um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, please, there's no there's no right or wrong here, but I, I want to know a little bit about your journey to get where you were, like what. What was your uh, reading journey as a child, and what brought you to HarperCollins? Charlotte's Web. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. No, I. You know, my mother worked in a in a school library and um, would bring home books all the time, and read to us. And uh, you know, Little Women, we can recite forwards and backwards. Um, you know, she really instilled that in us. So I always knew that I wanted to be in publishing and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I think everybody, every kid thinks I'll be an editor, you know, and then, you know, I recently spoke at a, 
at a, a publish on a publishing course on library marketing, and the uh, the students reached out to me and said, I had no idea there was library marketing. I said, neither did I when I first started. I didn't know what that was. That was a long time ago. And so uh, I first started out in Doubleday uh, and, and um, from 1984 to 88. And then I went to Harper and Row, which became HarperCollins, and um, worked in the art department there for a hot second and then learned about uh, academic and library marketing and and then just went out and zoned in on library marketing. We just grew it because we used to just stand in a 10 by 10 booth, you know, tables and drapes, rolling posters. Ugh. Let's jazz it up a little, kids. Let's do something fun here. Ugh. And so we did. And But, you know, you can only do so much. But, the you know, as we grew and as the company grew and the authors and titles and the amount that we were publishing, uh, it was, you know, they always recognized the value of library marketing and the fact that they had a library marketing department, but it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and our presence really grew and our engagement really grew. And the, but and that all came from the support of Harper, you know, cause you can't, you can't turn, you know, your presence at the American library association from a 10 by 10 roll and posters to a whole aisle of, you know, representation of booths and, 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 uh, you know, you can't do that. So, uh, without, without the support of, uh, of the big guns. So that's what we did. We grew it. We grew it. Okay. And uh, what more can I say? Well, you just talked about rolling posters. So that's probably not your favorite thing to do, but I wish you would talk um, you know, the thing that's most infectious about you, Virginia, is the joy that you bring to your job. So I would love for you to talk about your favorite thing about library sales and marketing. Hmm. Well, um, my favorite thing about sales and marketing, I, you know, here's the thing. Nobody has ever said, don't do that. So we throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall and a lot of stuff sticks and it's a lot of fun. You know, I, I can't remember the, I can't remember when somebody said, you really shouldn't do that, you know? So, so we have, you know, we have parties in our booth, whether we're supposed to or we're not. We, you know, we think outside the box, we shoot crazy videos and, and really off the wall stuff that people are just like, what are you doing? But we also have a wonderful video studio, you know, who can work magic, you know. So, we, you know, if we're having uh, the American Library Association in Seattle, you know, it's like, well, what should we do with this? You know, why, how should we promote our title presentation? We're trying, always trying to get as many people to that thing as we can. And so we make these funny videos. What that has to do with the title presentation? Nothing. But it has everything to do with having a laugh and connecting through humor. And I think that that isn't a conscious thing as much as it is a natural thing for me. Anyway, I feel, just feel like who doesn't love music? Who doesn't love laughing? And so if we make a video of us throwing fish at each other, because we're pretending we're at the, you know, Pike's market and we're whaling fish at each other at rapid pace, thanks to the video studio, speeding it up, people are laughing, you know, where we're skiing down a hill. I remember the ski one specifically with you guys all on the lift together. Yep. <laughs> and then we skied, down and Chris was flying through the air and they spun him around and we landed in the convention center where the, where the presentation was being held. It's that kind of stuff. I think it's very sort of like we're on the same page. Look, nobody buys a book based on the publisher. I don't think, I think people buy their books just like they buy their records or they buy anything based on what am I going to get? And so 
I don't know. We just try and connect on a different level. And if you can come, great. If you can come to the party, great. I guarantee you, you're going to have a couple of laughs and you're going to learn about our books. And then we're all going to eat some bad hotel scones and get on with the day. Or we might all go get in the pool, in the swimming pool, in our clothing in Orlando. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes, indeed. We did do that, didn't we? We did. We absolutely did. This is being recorded. Uh, no, okay. it was, we all had, it was, it was at the end of a, what was it? A Romance Writers of America conference mm-hmm. in, uh, yeah. in Orlando. It was one of those. Anyway, um, they had some Harper authors. I was with Harper at the time and, and Jen and her team were there and, um, Somebody said, well, let's go. It's so hot. It was August. Someone said, well, let's go get in the pool. And I said, well, I don't have a bathing suit. And they didn't either. So we all got in the pool in our clothing. There you go. There you go. It was great. And you know what? You, Mary Kay Andrews, a.k.a. Kathy Hogan Trojak, you're the one who said, you know what? Let's just lighten. Let's just lighten up. It's hot out. We don't need a bathing suit. Let's go. And all you need is one. But if it's the right one. One whose whose opinion you respect, and that's that's very funny personality and just a great person. You know, I had a dream about Mary Kay Andrews once. Uh-oh. And it was very, where, during a, a time in my life that it's just a lot was going on, and I was under a lot of you know, angst, as we all have those moments in our lives. Right. Right. And there was a terrible storm and and uh, a rainstorm, and Mary Kay Andrews. I'm just going to call you Kathy. Kathy, can I? Yeah, sure. Yes. Thanks. I mean, I'm not going to call you Barbara. No, that's no. Not your name. No. But she was sitting on a porch and I, and, and, and I was being swept away by this wave of water down the street. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm drowning. And you reached out your hand. You said, I will always catch you. You got a safe place here. Get up here. I got on the porch with her. Oh, uh, yeah. And then I really, slapped you. What'd you say? <laughs> then I slapped you. <laughs> Snap out of it. <laughs> we gotta get back to the real stuff now ron's got a question for you no, okay <laughs> i'm all set for this so i've been one of the very lucky recipients on what you were just talking about about the conferences and the and the approach that you take and i i think you've branded it so beautifully under library love fest so can you talk about how that started and how it grew and and trust me when i say to everyone who's listening they include costumes and sound effects and lots of antics and it just keeps the motivation going and it is one of the most popular events to attend at any conference is their their presentation of their titles but talk about library love fest how it started and how it grew and you talked a little bit about transitioning it to online during the pandemic so maybe you could talk about that a bit yeah, so they, they, you know, the folks came to me at Harper and said, "Listen, you know, w- what can we do here to, you know, I mean, this is going years back, and uh, you know, I wanted to do um, the I Love Lucy logo, but make it I Love Librarians, and that is one time that they said no. Oh. So um, too bad. Would have been cool. It would have been but, cool. Um, but I said, okay, well, let's call it. I don't know. Let's call it like, like, like you know, Library Love Fest. Like it's a love fest that we're having, and it's stuck." And, um, and now people, you know, people know it, you know, they, they've really come to just, we don't even have to, I mean, we do put Harper Collins on our ads, but typically if we don't, they know who it is. They know what that is. They know what company that belongs to. Right. And it, it is a love fest. It is. Um, when we pivoted to, uh, to a virtual at, just before that we had been, we, the library marketing department had been doing, um, monthly Facebook live. So we have a video studio right on our floor 
and top top of the you know top notch. These guys are wonderful, and uh, so in addition to making these crazy videos and all these special effects, with you wouldn't even believe it. I mean, anyway, we would do these. Uh, we would bring our tiki hut in the tiki hut to the video studio, and we would you know have a cocktail. It'd be ten thirty in the morning, but it's like it's got to be ten thirty in the morning somewhere. All right here. So we would talk about books that were coming up. Sometimes we'd have somebody from Harper, you know, we'd interview them, but no authors really, maybe once or twice we'd have an author, but that'd be a special thing. Uh, but, but once a month we did um, a Facebook live and we would talk about books that were coming out and three of us would sit there and it was like, it was national ice cream day. We'd have bowls of ice cream and they'd be melting on, under the lights and be, you know, messy and fun. Then when we switched over to, to virtual, I was in a panic like everybody else. And um, the very first Facebook Live I shot, I shot by myself here in uh, in my home, and I didn't know what I was doing. I almost started crying, to tell you the truth. I could hear my neighbor upstairs playing music, and I just didn't know what was happening. Um, but I just recorded something fast and said, we'll get through this, and we will, you know, we'll soldier on, and we'll be back. I don't know how. I don't know when, but we will. I was like, all right, let's do this. Instead of once a month, let's do it twice a week. That's different. And we did. We did it twice a week. Twice a week, we got on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we had librarians. We have over a half a million views of our Facebook Lives. Yeah, because uh, if they weren't watching it live, and in the beginning, they were nobody had any place to go. And I really feel that everybody, (laughs) yeah, everybody needed the connection. Authors who had just finished their books had nothing, nowhere to go with these. Right? How awful, you know. Um, and so, uh, and librarians, everybody was just, I feel untethered, including ourselves. And so this was a way to connect and it was a wonderful feeling to get back to, um, some sort of, some sense of communication between all of us. And we'd have authors on talking about their books and it was wonderful. And people was just like, ah, good. There you are. And here we are. So let's keep talking. And that's what we did. We're down to one a week, but every so often we'll go back to two a week and, you know, but it's a lot, but it's, it's a little crazy, but fear is a motivating factor. <laughs> it sure is. Okay, Virginia, you are infamously known as a celebrity stalker. Would you relay some of your escapades with some of the uh, marquee names um, that you have stalked? And I'm thinking specifically best celebrity encounters with the likes of, oh, I don't know, Cher, Bette Midler. <laughs> Yes, I'm happy to do that. Good. Um, okay, so I'm always talking about Cher um, because I just think that she is a hoot, and I also think that she is brilliant. Um, and um, but I and, and so I do have my Cher story, but also my Bette Midler story. And I, Bette Midler to me is bar none. She just is. She's just uh, heaven. And um, and so yes, I've I've seen her in concert like lots of us have i went to um so here was my double whammy i went to a share concert because we are harper collins is at some point publishing her memoir ah. i'm in line already hello <laughs> um when i found out that we were doing this i was in the back seat of a car uh in driving through maine and i screamed so loud that the I drive in the car almost went off the road. I'm like, my God, I'm reading the book. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and so, uh, Lisa Sharkey, who works at Harper, 
did not acquire the book, but knows folks. And next thing you know, long story short, I was going to see her in see Sharon in Las Vegas. Um, and so uh, my wife and I went with another couple and we sat in these amazing seats, which I would never be able to sit in myself. And then they brought us back. See, I sent her books. I brought her tote bags full of books, anti-Trump books, because we know how she feels about him. And, um, and then I, she got those ahead of time. And then they said, okay, now we're going to bring you back to meet her. And I just was apoplectic. And I didn't know that people pay to meet stars, movies, you know, celebrities. So they said, well, all these people have to go first because they, you know, shelled out the money. Oh my God, but you're publishing your book. And so when we went back and we met her and I was just like, Hamana, Hamana, Hamana. It was a, it was a Jackie Gleason moment. It was, you know, it was Ralph Crampton not knowing what to say. And she was like, Hey, how are you doing? How? Oh. I'm like, Hey, oh. crazy. Um, and so we got our picture taken and, um, she was just absolutely lovely. So um, that was my that was my share moment. And I said, we're so thrilled to be publishing your book and we can't wait. I'm like, oh my God, if I could get her to the American Library Association as a speaker, it would be the most amazing thing in the world. So believe me, I've been working on that for years now. Working on it means praying to God. Yeah. Um, and uh, Bette Midler, who I love, um, she, um, I went to, um, I guess this was, was this the same share? No, it was a different share concert. And some Harper folks had gotten, um, some passes because she was playing at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And so, because we're publishing the book, off we go again. And, uh, we're in the, in the back room where people are eating cheese and <laughs> And so I'm standing there with some Harper people and in walks Bette Midler with her daughter. And I'm like, I, I have Gouda stuck in my throat because I'm like, this is Bat Miller. Is it Bat Miller? Is it Bat Miller? This is Bat Miller. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? Right there, right there, right there. It's Bat Miller. Everybody. Oh. They're like, cool it. Miguel, I know, I know. I'm cool. Shh, I'm cool. Bat Miller. Get the Gouda out of my throat. So um, I, I was like, oh my God. Now I had, Bet had just been playing Hello Dolly. And of course I was sending books to Bet Midler at the theater. I was sending her books all the time. You'll love this one. Sending her like Charlotte's Web, and I'm I'm sending her all these books that I love. And now I'm like, I need to go tell her that I'm the one that sent her those books. So half the group was like, I don't think you should. And the other half was like, do it, do it. I would say, do it. <laughs> I would have been here pushing you. Right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So my sisters, I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I'm with my I'm with my wife and I'm with my sister. My sister says, do it. I said, do you think I should? And she said, I think you should only because I don't want to hear about it when you. <laughs> don't do it. And for the rest of your life, you're going to be so mad at yourself. And I'm not going to have to, I'll never stop hearing it. I'm like, okay, selfish. So I kept walking around her and as she was eating her crudite. And then she finally, she knew I was looking at her, but she was trying to avoid me. You can't blame her. You know, she's just there to have fun talking to a friend. And finally, she just turns and says, can I help you? I said, I'm sorry. I said, I don't really want to bother you. I said, I just, and she extended her hand and I shook her hand and said, I just want to tell you that um, huge fan. And I, I'm the person who sent the books to you at the theater. Um, she was like, oh, thank you so much. I said, so I hope you enjoy them. She said, thank you. And she actually had written to me or had somebody write to me to thank me for the books. So so she said, thank you so much. And I said, oh, I hope you enjoy them. And she said, I will. Thank you so much. And that was the end of that. And I turned around. I thought, she doesn't know who I am. She doesn't know him. She's not making the connection. So the whole time during the share, I'm like, how can I get her to realize I'm the person that sent her the book? My sister's like, leave it alone. 
You're good. You're good. You said something. You're good. You got her hand. I think eventually she probably went, oh, that's the person who sent me the books. Absolutely. That's wonderful. I don't know. I love you that know, story. It's crazy. You are always so good in a group, too. You you have so many stories and so many experiences that you have um, shared with all of us. And one of them I loved was when you were at Doubleday and there was somebody there who was an editor that, and I think you were kind of early in your career. Can you talk about that encounter? Yes. Are you speaking of Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis? Yes, I am. <laughs> um, she would sign everything JKO. Um, uh. I know. She was lovely. And... Uh, so, so there were four art directors and each art director had an assistant, me being one of them. And, uh, so she would, and we would spell each other for lunch. So the head of the department was Alex Gottfried, who was a genius and a wonderful man and a talented artist and photographer. And I loved him dearly. So he was the head of the department. And, um, so very often editors would come down and hit this big office and they would show sketches and, you know, say, what do you think of this? What do you think of this Jack for the jackets? And so, um, he, so I was answering the phones for him and I answered the phone and I heard, is Alex there? I was like, nah, nah, nah. so I said, um, mask is calling, please. And she'd say, it's Jackie. And I'd say, hold on a moment, please. Jackie, Jackie's on the phone. He's like, send it down. So I said, like, can you come down now? And she'd say, you bet. So I'm like, Cool. That was so cool. So then she floated on down and I just floated past oh. me. I'll never forget it. It was like floating. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis was right there. And then she's looking at these jackets and they're talking to each other and looking at the sketches. And then uh, she, she apparently told him that she was having sort of a, as Alex used to call it, a sinking spell. She was getting tired. And he came out and he used to call me Ginger. And he had, he was Polish, <laughs> with a thick accent. And he would say, Ginger go get Mrs. Onassis some candy. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so, uh, so I started to go out and I came back and I said, um, he said, get us some M&Ms. Like, okay. So I started to walk out and then I came back and I said, would you like plain or peanut? And she said, no nuts. I said, okay. And I went down and I got her a plain bag of M&Ms, brought them back, dusted them off because they were in the candy store that was built in the seventies. Here you go. And, um, and uh, so, so she had, because she was so beautiful and so so healthy and thin and what of course she only ate half the bag, you know, who does that? Jacqueline Kennedy on acid. So it was half a bag left. So my when she left, my other boss came running into his office and said, I'm taking this bag and I'm sending it to my mom. And he mailed <laughs> it to California. <laughs> okay, that was a good one. That was a good one. Um, you know, Virginia, you're known as an astute book forecaster, too, and you've told me some really great titles. What are the ones, the exciting titles that really are rocking your boat coming up for fall winter? Mm. Well, I'll tell you, um, I um, Don Winslow has a new series coming out uh, called City on, well, the first one's called City on Fire. And um, I interviewed him, well, I have this Facebook Live, we interview authors, and I interviewed him recently, um, and it was, uh, was really wonderful because um, he's just he's just so available and um, and brilliant, 
And I really enjoyed talking to him about this new series. So, uh, you know, he's the author of The Cartel, that whole series. So this this new one uh, starts, takes place in the 80s and 90s um, in uh, Rhode Island. And it's about it's about the um, the Irish and Italian mobs. So good. So good. Um, and now, the, the one thing is that it's it was scheduled to come out this fall. Right. And now here's the thing. It's coming out in April now because he, he, you know, understandably wants to meet the public. And he's hoping that, you know, a lot of these tours, it's just messing with everything, you know, virtual versus in person. And then it becomes less, you know, um, less, uh, you know, likely that that's going to happen or that it will happen in a healthy way. By that, I mean robust, you know. So that's been moved, but that is no less. Um, I, I, I just, I, I'm super, super jazzed about this new series. Um, it's great characters. And he's really sort of drawn parallels with Greek, the Greek tragedy, tragedies. And so these characters are so, so drawn out. And there's one woman at the center of this whole thing that uh, puts into motion all of these terrible things, these, these two factions sort of get along, you know, side by side. Then a woman appears and it all explodes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that is one that uh, I am super, super jazzed about. Um, And uh, yeah. Now all her little secrets by Wanda Morris. I know that Mr. Block is a big fan of, and I am super glad that you, Ron, have taken this one under your wing because is it not so great? It is beyond. And we had um, Wanda recently on the podcast here, and she's a delight. Her story's a delight. Everything about this book, it's just, it's just a book of our time. It's just, it's a thriller too. I mean, it'll knock your socks off. But I'm at the same time, person. she oh, lives in Atlanta. Yeah, yes. she lives in Atlanta, and I reached out to her and I said, "Hey, let's uh, let's meet." Oh, so we're supposed to have lunch soon. Oh. Well, she, you know, this is, you start on page one mm-hmm. and it's, oh, it's so good <laughs> because you're starting off in her childhood, which is not good. And, um, you know, that, uh, you know, in, in pages to come, you find out that she's a, a successful, um, lawyer, but what she starts from is horrible and what she becomes is brilliant. But what happens to her, the, the racial inequality is, you're not hit over the head by it, but it is there. She doesn't see anybody like her at this firm where she works. Um, she, and I'm not ruining anything by telling you that she, uh, she goes to work early one morning to go and see the man who she works with, but um, he, and she's having an affair with, and he has been shot dead. And instead of running to the authorities, she turns around and goes to her, goes to her office like she never saw it happen. Why does she do that? You'll find out. It's really, really good. It's twisty and smart. It takes off from there too. It's like, oh yeah, Ron. I, I love that. that you love that. Like oh, if you I, love Harlan you know Coben or How to Get Away with Murder, you know Attica Lock. Like mm-hmm. smart. Like when I read this thing, I was like, there's no way this is a debut. It is. Yeah, I um, didn't think it was either. I thought you no. were lying to me. I know, right? Thank you, Ron. I'm so glad. <laughs> Kathy, I can't wait to hear what you think when you meet her. She is lovely. It's our lead read. Um, she just Wonderful. made the cover of Library Journal. Mm-hmm. Wow. I know. she's And she's just 
so um, grateful for for all this good all these good things that are coming her way. And she did a piece for she did a she did an interview um, at the American Library Association. We paired her up with another author, and they talked about the publishing process. And sh- this manuscript of hers has been drug out and put back and drug out and put back. And, um, you know, she, she just kept at it and then would give it up and go back to it. And Lori Rader Day, who you know, Kathy, I'm sure you know Lori Rader Day. She's a mystery, mystery writer. And, um, she's, uh, she's got a new book out called, uh, Death at Greenway. And this is, um, she was nominated for an Edgar. She won the Anthony and Mary Higgins Clark. This is, um, set in World War II, and it's about two nurses who are sent to the Agatha Christie um, holiday estate called Greenway. And they're supposed to be caring for these evacuated kids. I think there's about 10 of them. They're in the Blitz. And a body is discovered. She's like, of course I have to throw in a mystery. But this is all entrenched in real life. And she went, she stayed there for a couple of nights with her husband, and she tells us really cool stories about there. And she was uh, taught a class at the Yellow Writers class. And and, uh, Wanda Morris was one of her teachers. And Wanda Morris said, you were the one who said to me after you read my manuscript, you are a good writer. And she said, that turned it for me. So cool. We had both of them on. So we do this show now every Tuesday, sometimes Thursday, called um, Door to Door, Our Door to Your Door. That's how it started. And we're either talking about books ourselves among our, you know, the library marketing department, but usually we have authors on. And we have these two authors on. Uh, just this past week and everything's on YouTube. You can go look at it on Facebook, but it's a really cool hour because typically we'll have two authors on. They'll talk for a little bit in the beginning. And then we put one in the virtual green room, which basically means we turn off their camera and we focus on one author and one book. And then we switch and this took off and we never turned the camera off on either one of them. It was just this beautiful, really cool, smart, funny, revealing conversation about lots of things. Very cool. Yeah, I so watched it on replay. Did you? Yes. Oh, yes. What'd you think? Oh, yes. I loved it. I love their connection. And, and, and it's just like things that I've learned from the Fab Five and, uh, and other um, writers that I know. Every, every uh, established writer, they're always reaching back to help somebody else. And I just love that connection. And I just think that it's, it's just, it's beautiful. One other book I'd love, thank you. And I, I, I encourage you guys to go and and watch that. You can just go to YouTube and type in Library Love Fest and it's there. But um, there's another book coming out in December that we're publishing called Bright Burning Things by Lisa Harding. And this is, this is the American debut of, um, she's, she's an Irish writer and she's been published there, but this is about, and she's, um, this is about a mother who is struggling with alcoholism and how she tries to keep from losing her son. Now, before you think, why do I want to read this sad, depressing book? Trust me. This book is so good because she has such heart and she loves this kid so much. But when you have a pull that's almost equal parts, love for your child, but love, not love, it's addiction. And what she does and how she does it, it, it is, it's sometimes claustrophobic. That is a word that I thought of when I read it. And then I read somebody's quote. I don't have it in front of me, but somebody said this book is claustrophobic, but it's claustrophobic in a good way because how can anybody make you feel that way? Right. Somebody who really knows what they're doing and just so effective and beautiful and touching and powerful. And 
I won't tell you anything more about it, except that I think that you really need to read it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting her, getting her to come on Facebook Live. Um, she's an actress and a playwright who lives in London. Um, and her first book was called Harvesting, and it won the Ireland's Kate O'Brien Award, or short, shortlisted for an Irish Book Award, and Best Novel of the Year. But that was wow. published there. So this is her American debut, and she's a really good writer. Yeah. Well, anything you recommend to me, I'm reading, so I'm in. Thanks. Yes. Well, Virginia, I hope you know how much that we adore you and appreciate your visit with us today. Our listeners, uh, just it's great for them to get a behind-the-scenes glimpse of the amazing work you do and really how you shine. So happy Library Card Sign-Up Month, and thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you so much, Ron, and thanks, Kathy. Great to see you both. We hope that you all have enjoyed this Library Rockstar episode. I'm continually fascinated by the dedication of library professionals everywhere. In times of struggle and in celebration, libraries are always the place we turn to as a society. Thank you for tuning in, and please be sure to share with a friend. Thank you for tuning in to Friends in Fiction Writers Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where you can see our live Friends in Fiction show that airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.